Well, good morning. We are very glad that you're with us this morning. I'll be honest with you. You don't have to stop talking. You guys can keep greeting. It's not a problem. I'm just going to talk for a few seconds about, uh, about the day after Christmas. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, the day after Christmas was like the worst day of the year. Um, you know, there's from Halloween all the way up till the 24th, it's nothing but, oh, this is what you're going to get. And this is all, and we get so excited. And all the stores have everything. And then the day after Christmas, they're like, here, 75% off. Let's get it out of here. Now, some of you might be excited about that today. I don't know. Uh, some of you are wanting me to wrap up. Some of you want me to pray and so we can be dismissed. I know that's the way it's working right now. But um, it's not going to happen. Um, it's, just a, it's just a fun time. You actually walked over to the classrooms and talked to some of the kids. And I was just, uh, just telling them, I said, oh, I remember when I would be so disappointed. And some of them were like, oh, no, we get to play with all of our new toys. And, uh, and one of them, I'm not going to mention who it is because their parents are sitting in here. But... Um, He's like, my parents don't let me take any of my toys out for the first week because they don't want me to break them until the second week. That way I can have them for a little while. And I said, <laughs> I said, I remember those days. I definitely do. But, uh, you know, it, it blows me away, first of all, that there's, there's this many people here because last night I was going, oh, man, I've got to go to church tomorrow. That's what I was thinking. So I figured if I'm the pastor thinking it, that all of you would have been thinking the same thing. And uh, maybe I guess the breakfast burritos helped out a little bit to, to get some of you in. So there, there was a little secret ploy in that, I guess. But, um, you know, last night I was going through my message and I was just thinking about the, uh, the year is over. This is the last Sunday of the year. And all the things that have happened this year, I don't know what's happened for you in your lives this year, but we started this church in, uh, well, we, we technically got going at the end of last year, but uh, it launched on Easter. And just to see what God has done, just to to know that uh, on our Christmas Eve service we had over 150 people here it was just, just really exciting, and uh, to see people get to to hear about um, Jesus and get to hear about His love and the fact that He came down here as a man to die for us, and it was just something that kind of blew me away. And I, I look back on that. I look back even on this series, and I'm not sure this is our last Sunday in our Philippians series, but I look back at it and I say, you know, God's taught me a lot. Um, I can't say that I've ever really taken the time to deep study Philippians. Most of the time, you know, I'm not sure if, if this is the way you are in your, your reading. You, you read the Bible to accomplish the amount that you have to read more than to actually listen to what God has to say to you. And taking, uh, taking 10 weeks to go through four chapters of a book has been uh, very good for me. And I hope it has been for you as well. And today, um, I hope it's no different. As we wrap up, we are in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. We're going to be doing the last 13 verses from verse 10 through 23. If you want to open up your Bibles to it now, that'd be great. But um, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here. We, we've already talked about the fact that Paul's in prison. He's writing this letter to this, this church in uh, Philippi. And in the process of writing that, he is, he is praising them repeatedly for all the things that they have done. And the last thing we're going to talk about today is being good stewards. If you don't know what being a good steward is, it's being a good manager, being a good manager of what you've been given. And uh, today, today of all days, is a day that we're going to talk about money. And I really honestly thought about it, um, that I was going to get two big gold chairs and put them up here, and I was going to wear like a really gaudy suit and have Christy have really big hair and really dark purple 
over her eyes and just sit up here and just mm-hmm, praise the Lord and do all, you know, and, uh, and do a real televangelist thing here, but I didn't know if that would be appropriate or not, and I didn't know how many visitors we'd have, so I just wanted to, you know, balance that, because those of you who have been with us, you know that half the time I don't think, do things that are appropriate anyway, but uh, let's blame it on the fact that I was a youth pastor at some point in time, but, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's really cool to look at, at what Paul's talking about here with the Philippian church, and how he is just really praise them for all the things. And as we wrap up, he is very excited about what they have helped him through and how they have come alongside him with all their resources and their lack of resources. So today, before we get started, I want to pray, and then I want to, um, I want to get started. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And on this day after, Lord, I pray that we don't forget. I pray it's not just a one-time occurrence that we think about what your son did for us. But Lord, it's something we can remember all year long. And Lord, as we speak this morning, I pray you just keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to say to us. Because as this new year comes, we always make New Year's resolutions. We always want to have changes, and maybe this is one of the changes that we need to have, is just being a better steward of what you have given us. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen. I almost forgot, here on the, on the table there is a Christmas card, and it is a thank you card from Oscar. If you were with us for last week, we gave uh, gifts to Oscar, and uh, it says, thank you, you're such a blessing to my home with your gift. Uh, Happy New Year, 2011, and then something in Spanish, uh, Feliz Año Nuevo, uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, I guessed what it was, I just didn't know how to pronounce it, um, because I'm very, I'm very pale-skinned, if you can, cannot tell that. Um, I have difficulty with those. Even though I grew up in the Southwest my whole life, somehow or another Spanish escaped me. I took German in high school. Go figure. Um, you know, the, uh, the idea of talking about money is not a fun one because a lot of people, especially those who are, you're visiting today, you have to understand we don't talk about money very often. We're not going to pass an offering plate. The box is over there. The way I've always seen it from the very beginning of doing this was if you feel led to give to God, then give to God. But I'm not going to be one who forces you, and I'm not going to try and guilt you into it. But I do want to talk a little bit about money, about tithing, or uh, free will giving that some might call it, or grace giving, or new covenant giving. There's all sorts of different names for it. But I want to talk a little bit about it and talk a little bit about what Paul says about it here in Philippians chapter 4. But before I get to it, I want to tell you the Bible talks a great deal about money. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Bible talks about either money, finances, possessions in some way at least 800 times. So that's a, that's a pretty good deal that they're talking about. Jesus actually talks about it 25% of the times that he is speaking. So if you think about that, if we talked about it as much as Jesus did, we'd donate one Sunday a month to talking about money. And I don't think you guys would like that very much. But as we look through the Old Testament, what's the, what's the word that we get from the Old Testament about giving? Does anybody know what it is? Tithe. Does anybody know what it means? 10%. The actual word tithe means 10%. And that's kind of the basis that we've always been told. That's the way we've always gone with, um, with that. And the Old Testament is very clear on that, that, that we're supposed to give 10% of our first fruits. Not of, that means not of our net, but our, of our gross and 10% of our first fruits would go to that. And some people say, well, that's what we're supposed to do. Some people, those same people, miss the fact that that is 10% going to God. Another 15% generally went to the poor, went to helping out uh, people who were in need, went to helping out people who were sick, things like that. So really, 25% pretty much 
of the Old Testament stuff and Old Testament uh, what they made went back to the church or went back to God in some way. And it's, it's funny to see that because we don't really think about it that way. And in teaching, sometimes very basic on it. Sometimes people don't like to teach on it. Some people don't like to talk about money. But unfortunately, Philippians just happens to hit it and now I have to. But um, as we move into the New Testament, does anybody know if, if tithing is commanded or not? In the Old Testament, yes. New Testament, no. It's not. And, and some people, you know, it, it's funny because in the studying that I got to do this week, there was a lot of debates. Just talk about tithing versus just giving. And the debate that goes on, the papers that are written, and all the different things. And it made my head want to just pop. But I'm just going to give you just a little, little bit there of what it is. And see, the word tithing was actually replaced with what some people would call grace giving, or other people might call the New Testament giving, or New, new Covenant giving, or even Spirit-led giving. And it, it basically um, is talked about in, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And I would ask you this week to sit down and read that chapter, just to kind of, or those two chapters, because it actually talks about the Philippian church. In your Bible, it might say the, the church from Macedonia, which is the Philippian church. And it says, the Philippian church was a great example of how to give. For those of you who have ever questioned, well, is, is 5% enough? Is this enough? How, how is it all supposed to work together? Because the Old Testament teaches about tithing, and that's 10%, and that's a great base. Well, is that the floor? Is that where you're supposed to start at? Or is that the ceiling, and that's where you're supposed to stop at? There's lots of questions about giving, and frankly, I don't have the answers for you from that perspective. But what I do have is from, from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church saying, hey, take a look at this Philippian church. See what they do. So I want to take a look from what he tells the Corinthian church to take a look at what the Philippian church is doing and learn from that. There's four things I want you to see that come from that passage in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And that is this, that if we're going to give back to God to fund his ministry, to give back out of love back to him, not out of, out of you know, regret or out of guilt or anything like that, but give back because we love God. There's four things we need to see, and that's this. Our giving should be sacrificial, it should be regular, it should be cheerful, and it should be proportional. Sacrificial, regular, cheerful, and proportional. Now, that doesn't fall into the 10% of tithe that, that some of you have learned, and if that's what you've learned, then do it that way. I'm telling you what I have seen here from the Philippian church that has taken over, that Paul's talking about, uh, to the Corinthians. First thing he says is sacrificial. What does that even mean? We should give that which is sacrificial to us. We should give that which is sacrificial to us because I'm guessing there's poor po college students in here that 10% is, well, 10% of zero is zero. So it, it's tough to say, hey, you need to, you need to give 10% or whatever it is. We need to be sacrificial in our giving. Some people in here make a whole lot more money, money than other people and 10% and for those who are very well off isn't that big of a deal compared to 10% of a struggling single mom. So that's why it falls into the sacrificial giving. Second, he says it should be regular. That means you should give weekly, monthly, quarterly, and not just driven by guilt, not just today because I'm talking about it, and you're like, oh, no, she just grabbed my wallet, I got it, and then this last time, you know, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do it on a regular basis. However God has led you to give, that's what you're supposed to do. Thoughtful, planned out, ready, first fruits. First things first. God comes first, everything else comes second. Third, 
He says it should be cheerful. Give with a cheerful heart. Don't give begrudgingly. Don't say, uh, yeah, I have to do this. We don't have to do anything. God can take care of himself. He always has. He always will. This is us saying, yes, God, I love you, and this is what we're giving back to you. This is what we're giving back, and we're doing it in a cheerful way. And then fourth is proportional, according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Remember that. So given those four principles in in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is basically praising the Philippian church because he's saying, if you Corinthians want to know how to do it, take a look at the Philippians. So we have seen Paul throughout this entire letter of Philippians praise the Philippian church for what they're doing. Now he's going to another church and saying, hey, take a look at what they're doing. There's something else we need to understand that the Philippian church understood. Actually, there's a couple of things. One is this. God is a giver. God is a giver. As we celebrate Christmas, as we look at Christmas, as we look at all the things that come with Christmas, what's it all about? It's about the fact that God gave. And not only did God give, when he became a man, he continued to give. He continued to give to us. He continued to disciple us. He continued to pour himself into men and women that we could learn from their examples and be able to to grow ourselves. He gave to the hungry. He fed the poor, even though he himself was poor. There's a lot that we can see that God was a giver. So when we see that God is a giver, that's the first thing the Philippian church really understood outside of even these four principles we talked about. The second thing is, is that they needed to be good stewards because they knew God had given to them. They knew that. And now they need to be good stewards or managers with that stuff. How do you do that? How do you be a good steward of what God has given you? Would you classify yourself right here, right now, as a good steward of that which God has given you? That's a tough question to ask. It's a tougher one to answer, especially honestly. Because if we look at ourselves and we look at our finances, we look at our checkbooks and how our checks and how our paychecks are divvied out, where does everything go to? Does it go to ministry and to God or does it go to ourselves? in our habits, and in those things. It's a tough one to talk about, but we need to be wise. We need to be generous. We need to do everything within proportion. We need to do it cheerfully. We need to do it regularly. And we need to do it sacrificially. And those are the things the Philippian church understood. Jesus even talks about good stewards and what a good steward is. In the book of Luke, chapter 16, he talks about there's a, there's a bad steward and there's a good steward. And the bad steward does a great job taking what he has and he invests it. And what does Jesus tell him? Does anybody remember what he tells him? He says, I'm going to give you, I gave you a little. You did great with a little. Now I'm going to give you more. The bad steward, on the other hand, he took it away from him. Because all he did was bury it in the ground, didn't do anything with it, didn't invest it, didn't use it, didn't steward it right. So we learn little lessons here, and Paul's throwing these things out here. And I, Now, let me get off a little side tangent here for just a second, because I said if, if God gives you a little bit and you do right with it, you're going to get more. There are teachers out there that teach this thing called prosperity theology, and that is if you give to God, maybe you've seen it on TV, if you just turn in $49.95, I swear to you that you'll be driving Mercedes-Benz by the end of the week. You know, th- that, is the, that is the idea that we get within these prosperity teachers. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact we get all this, this thought about, about 
how God gives us more if we give to Him. And sometimes we, instead of giving to Him cheerfully for Him, we do it for us. But I think what we really need to understand here is this, is that God is not some cosmic pinata that we can whack and all the things that we ever want is going to fall out right here into our lap. That, that's not what God is. God is our Father. We are His children. How many of you in here are fathers that have children? Just raise your hand real quick for me. How many of you fathers who have children have had your kids ask you for money? Okay, yeah. Two hands went up on, on each person that time. If you think about it this way, when your kid asks you for money and you give it to them and they blow it on whatever junk, whatever it is, it's gone. Boom. And they come back and they ask you for more money. How likely are you to say, yeah, sure, mm -hmm. you're great with your money. I think I need to give you more. But when you see that they actually invest in something, that's kind of, let's do it this way. Let's play it out. Camden, he's nine. Okay, Camden's nine years old and um, not quite old enough to, to let him go into the store by himself yet. But let's say we're a couple years down the road. Inflation hasn't taken place too badly. And I say, Camden, I'm going to pull into Walmart. I want you to run in. I'm going to give you a $20 bill. I need you to grab some milk, some bread, some eggs. And because you're doing it, I'm going to allow you to buy yourself a candy bar as well. Camden gets all excited. He takes the $20 bill. He runs in. About five minutes later, he comes out with sacks of candy and sits down in the car. And I say, Camden, where's the milk and the bread and the eggs? He goes, oh, well, you didn't give me enough. And I say, okay, well, let, let's try this again. Here's another $20 bill. I need you to go in. I need you to get milk. I need you to get bread. I need you to get eggs. He says, okay. He goes in, and he comes out with pop and soda and pretzels and chips and a thing of bread. I said, Camden, you got the bread, but where's the, where's the milk and the eggs? He goes, oh, well, you, you still didn't quite give me enough. I said, okay. One more time. Here's another $20. He goes in. He goes in, and he completely blows it. He sees the video game that he wants. $20 gone. Comes out with the video game. Would I be wise to give him another $20? No, I wouldn't be. Because after $60, I'm going to learn that I'm going to have to get my own milk and my own bread and my own eggs. Or I'm going to send it to my next son down and say, why don't you give it a shot this time? <laughs> you know, that is, the, that is the thinking. That is the thinking that we need to understand with God. When we do well with what he gives us, he will give us more because he can trust us. If we don't do it, he's not going to give us more. It's not that prosperity teaching that we have. Because after a while, we start to understand that God is looking for good stewards. It's simply that. God is looking for good stewards, people who will use what they have. Instead of saying, God, you didn't give me enough. Because sometimes we get off on our own little side tangent and say, well, God, thanks for all of our blessing. Now I'm going to go buy this or I'm going to go get this because this is where it falls into. Now people in Philippi at the church, they really had a good understanding of this concept. They really had this understanding that, that they needed to be a good steward that they needed this, they needed it, and it changed how they viewed their possessions, it changed how they viewed their wealth, it changed how they viewed their finances, because they understood who God was and what He was doing. So I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 4, 
And then I want to ask you some questions that basically Paul said, hey, this is what the Philippian church is doing. Is this what you're doing? Start off in 4, verse 10. 4, verse 10, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be, what? Content, whatever the circumstances. Content. I'm assuming the day after Christmas, everybody in here should be fairly content? Absolutely. Why not? Who needs to go after those 75% off sales anyway because we have everything we need? I am content in what I have. I doubt that is what's going through your mind right now. I doubt anybody picked up a Sunday paper this morning and said, I'm going to look through the ads because I am content. You know, we don't do that. We're not content. Generally, that's not where we're at. We don't live in a state of contentment. Verses 12 and 13 say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So this is my first question. Are you content? Are you content? Are you material content? Are you financially content? Are you content? Now, the opposite of being content is coveting. If we covet, you may or may not know this. If you were with us back in the summer, we talked about coveting. That's one of the Ten Commandments that says, do not covet. So if you are not content and you are coveting, you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Are you content? It's a big deal. It's a big deal in our culture. I think about it all the time. I think about stuff. I like stuff. I like gadgets. I like toys. I like big stuff. I like trucks. I like little stuff, like iPhones. I mean, it it doesn't matter. I like stuff. And I would bet that you like stuff too. When are we content? When are we content with the stuff that we have? Probably never, because every TV ad out there is to tell you that you are not content with what you have. Every time a car dealership puts a commercial on TV, it's not like, hey, I know that you really like your car, but maybe just consider buying this one. I mean, it doesn't have as much nice stuff as your car does. It just has less mileage, so just maybe consider it. No, it's you need this car. That's what they're all about. And that's what everything they do is out there for. And it's out there to make us be discontented. And when we are, we're not good stewards because we need the next biggest thing, whatever it might be. How many of you, when you check your mail, just get loaded up with things that say that you're discontent? How many of you, when you get a newspaper, it's just loaded up with things that say you should be discontent with what you have? The question is, are you content? Are you content? Because if you are, there's always an upgrade coming, just to let you know that. And that's the thinking that that the, the advertisers have. Are you content with what you have, or do you tell yourself that you deserve better? As a matter of fact, those same prosperity theology teachers will tell you that you shouldn't be content, that you should be 
okay with wanting more, that God wants you to have more. And that's what they're going to teach you. And that's what they're going to tell you. But the funny thing is, is I'm reading from Paul, who is stuck in prison, who is flat broke, who doesn't have anything. And he said, I can be content in either plenty or none. Funniest thing. I'm looking up stuff and, and trying to find things for, for my message, and I found two quotes from televangelists that I just thought were just mind-blowing. So I had to share them with you. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I can't. Rod Parsley. Um, he says, Some of you be- better get ready to drive around in neighborhoods you never thought you'd be able to afford to live. Some of you better go down to the Lexus and Mercedes dealership and just sit down on one of those things with all that leather all over it. And when they say, what are you doing? You say, well, just, well, I'm just feeling out what my father's going to give me. I'm like, you should be kicked in the teeth. Because um, I don't think that's what Paul's saying at all. Listen to what this next guy says, and I'm not going to share his name either. Um, See, there are some people that believe not in prosperity. They don't want to hear about that God is a God who wants to put money in your hand. Well, you need to hear about money because you ain't going to have no love and joy and peace until you get some money. That is straight from TBN. Can you, can you fathom that thinking? The show is called Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That sounds like they're praising money to me. Because if that's where your happiness is supposed to come from, who cares about the Lord? Because I always found that Jesus is my hope and Jesus is where my love comes from and Jesus is those that not from my money because I'm not happier when I have a full wallet. I'm more content, but I'm not happier. It's the kind of thinking that we have. And it's taught that way. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. And if we start putting money in front of God, Man, we're going to start putting all kinds of things in front of God. It's not about whether you're rich or poor. It's about whether you're a good steward with whatever God has entrusted you. See, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to make money. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to invest and invest wisely and to make money. It's okay. But it's when that becomes your God, that is the problem. That is where the problem is. So number question number one is, are you content? Verse 14, he goes on, he says, Yet... It was good of you to share my troubles. Paul's broke, he's in prison, and he says, I am so glad that you guys are paying attention, that I don't have to beg and I don't have to mooch and I don't have to do all these kind of things. You guys are paying attention to understand where I am at in all of this. And you understand my ministry, and you understand financing it, and you understand all these things. Thank you for being with me in my troubles. So my next question is, is who have you helped this year? Who have you helped this year? Who are the people that you've served? Who are the people that you went to their house and you served them in a practical way? Or you went out and you did something physical for them? Or you did something tangible? This person lent your, or you lent your car to this person, or, or you, you went and bought groceries for that person. Who have you helped this year? Without them asking, without them begging, without them even knowing in some situations, who have you helped this year? Are you a generous person? Do you help people? Because he says, you know, he loves the Philippians because they were attentive. 
and not because he was having to write them to say, hey, I need money from you. As a matter of fact, he says in one of the verses that you were the only church that helped me along the way. Yet Paul planted how many churches and wrote how many letters to these churches throughout the entire Gospels? Yet only one church was there behind him. And the funny thing is, you might say, well, they must have been a pretty rich church. Go back to that 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says they were very poor, as a matter of fact. But yet they were generous at what they did have. Jesus was a giver during his life. He served people. He healed people. He prayed for people. He taught people. He fed people. And if you look at it, the opposite was true. The people took care of him and they ministered to him and they fed him and they housed him. How have you helped people? Are you aware of people's troubles? And are you helping them in that? Next, we see Paul says in verse 15 and 16, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the earlier days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, here it is, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Paul says that they're generous and they have been ever since he started the church. Anytime he was going to do ministry, anytime he was going to do anything, he understood that they were going to help him, even though they were poor. Even though they, actually it says, their generosity welled up out of their poverty. That is the words that they used. So here's my question. Are you pleased with your giving to God? Are you pleased with your giving to God? Are you pleased with your giving, period? Are you pleased with your giving to others? And when I ask that question, it's easy to say yes or it's easy to say no. But the next tougher question is, is why or why not? Why are you pleased with your giving? Why are you not pleased with your giving? And what are you going to do about it? It goes on to verse 17. It says, not that I am looking for a gift. Paul says, you know, this isn't what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to throw things out there that say, hey, I need this. So I'm going to do a nice sly way of saying it. Guys, I only have one car in my garage right now. I'd like to throw out a little hint that I need a car. Wink, wink. You know, that's not what Paul is saying right now. That's not what he is doing. What Paul is saying, not that I need a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more, and I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. I want you to listen to this language right here. The gift that you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What does that language sound like to you? A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Sounds like worship to me. It sounds like worship to me, which leads us to our next question. Do you worship your money or do you worship with your money? Do you worship your money or do you worship with your money? Jesus said you can't worship both God and money. You have to pick one. You have to. What are you picking? The world is filled with two kinds of people. There's takers and there's givers. Those who worship money are takers. And once again, I'm not saying that it's a sin to make money. I'm just saying it's a sin to worship it because there's plenty of holy people in the Bible who love God and made good money, but they didn't do it by being discontented, they didn't do it by being covetous, and they didn't do it by stealing. 
You either worship money and use people, or you worship God and you use money. Where do you fall in that? And you know the answer to the question. The crazy thing is, is I can't say it for you. But you know, because you live it every day. goes on in verse 19. Very important verse here. Very misquoted verse very often as well. It says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Misquoted? When people say, See, God will give you whatever you want. Just have enough faith and claim the promises. You have to add the, there at the end, you know. It's, you got to claim the promises. You know, it, it's one of those things that we, we get caught up in. But the difference is in what, what Paul said and what I said just now was God says, I will meet all of your needs. And I said, you can have anything you want. Huge difference. Huge difference between the two. God will meet all of your needs. And I want you to notice that Paul is talking to Philippian church that their needs will be met. I also want you to look and see why their needs will be met. Because I don't think every Christian will get their needs met. I honestly don't. Because I think this promise comes what they call a premise. And the premise is the four verses we've already gone over. Verses 14 through 18. If you look at those verses and say, look what the Philippian church has done for God to turn around and meet their needs. It's not the other way around. It's not God meets your needs and then you go and be generous. It's knowing that God has made a promise that He will not break if we follow the premise that is laid out in front of us. There's a huge difference between wants and needs. We know that up here, but it's putting it into action is the difficult part of it all. You see... Children don't know it up here. That's actually a definition of a child, is the fact that, that food and water and air and video games and candy all fit into the same needs. There's no distinction between the two. That's part of maturing, is understanding there are wants and there are needs. And to be a good steward is to understand the difference between the two. It's okay to get what you want as long as it's not coming in the way of all the other things that you need. And this is a lesson that is very difficult to learn. In 1890, a survey was asked in society what the basic needs of people were. They came up with a list of 16. In 2000, the same survey was taken, 110 years later. Guess how many basic needs Americans have in the year 2000? 97. 97 basic needs. Blows your mind. Yet 110 years ago, they could survive on... 16. Some of us couldn't conceive a life without Starbucks. <laughs> it, is a, it just blows me away to think about this, but yes, we do need something to drink. No, it doesn't always have to be Starbucks. Yes, we do need something to eat, but no, you don't always have to eat out. Yes, we do need to be connected, but it doesn't have to be 24-7 with a pager and a cell phone and a computer and all the different things that go with it. High-speed internet access? No, I need it. I don't know what I would do without it. You know, those are the things that we think about because we have built our life around them, but they are still not needs. They are not necessities. You don't need them to survive. How many people living outside the United States are surviving just fine with a whole heck of a lot less than we ever even could dream about? 
And there are people in third world countries that make a dollar to two dollars a day. I mean, if you really put that into perspective, they're making $700 roughly a year. But some people might be paying on an Escalade or something like that a month. You know, I mean, those kind of thoughts go through your mind. You're like, wow, what do I really need versus what do I really want? There are things that are necessities and there are things that are not. So here's the questions. Are you living within your means? Are you living within your means? Have you, asked, have you ever said this and actually meant it? If I don't have the money, I shouldn't spend it. I know that's a crazy thought to think about. I mean, silly me. There's, a, there's these credit cards. Who, <laughs> are you living within your means? Well, no, I don't have to. I've got credit. That's what I have a credit score for. You know, that's our thinking, and that's what we try and do. Do you really think that God wants to bankroll your foolishness as we spend too much money on worthless stuff? Have you ever thought about that? Has it ever gone through your mind? This credit thing that we have created does great for buying cars or buying houses and all those things, but it, it, is, it enslaves us. It enslaves us. And all the foreclosures going around, that is people trying to get out of being enslaved. People's cars getting repoed, trying to get out of being enslaved. We have credit card debt that is just ridiculous and large, and it just doesn't make any sense. The question is, if God came to set us free, why would we want to become slaves to something else? Being a good steward is a part of that. So are you living within your means? Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Simple question comes right after that is this. Do you glorify God in all that you do, including your finances? Do you glorify God in all that you do? On to the next one, verses 20 and 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. He's talking about the church. He's talking about groups of people in the church. He's talking about all these things. Here's the question. Are you helping or are you hindering the church? Are you helping or hindering the church? And you know, here it's not as big of a deal. But some of the bigger churches have people that just sit back and they just are like leeches and they suck off the church and only get and don't ever give. That's a hindrance. You're hindering the ministry of the church. And I hope we never get to that point where we have that. It's about helping the church. Now, if you're not a Christian, let me be emphatically clear on this point right here. I'm not asking you to give anything. I'm asking you to receive. I'm asking you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because that's the only thing you need right now. That's the only thing you need right now is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So if you're not a Christian, don't think that, hey, they're just talking about money and they want my wallet and so on and so forth because that's not what we want at all. We want you to receive Jesus. It's those that have received Jesus. Those that have is, are you helping, are you hindering the forward progress of our church? The final point, and now everybody's like, oh, thank God, finally. Um, The final point, verse 23. Verse 23 says, the grace of the Lord Christ be with you in spirit. I honestly think that if Paul had not wrapped up this letter with that, the grace, that this would be a letter of legalism, this would be a letter of moralism. This would be a letter of, hey, if you don't do this, God is going to be angry with you. You're not going to get into heaven. It's going to be all that. But instead he says, may the grace of God be with you. Because that's what this all boils down to. If we have the grace of God in our life, it makes it possible to be a good steward. It makes it possible to be content. It makes it possible to live as one who reflects the glory of God, helping the church, helping the city, helping this world. 
It's all based on the grace of God. And it's a tough point to soak into. It's a tough point to be a part of. But do you understand God's grace? Do you understand His saving grace? God is a giver. God gave us grace. Unmerited for favor. We did not earn what we deserve. Instead, God gave us something we don't deserve. And that is grace. And that is His Son, Jesus Christ. He loved us even though we were sinful people. There are two different forms of grace that I want to talk about real, real fast. The first one is saving grace. And the second one, the second one is a little bit different. It's empowering grace. Empowering grace is, it takes you from being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ to accept that wonderful gift to empowering it and taking it to the next level, to change. It's the whole come as you are that we talk about and then be changed. Being changed by God, that is where the empowering grace comes in because He sent His Son for the forgiveness of our sin. And some people think that's it. I sin and then God forgives me with forgiving grace. And that's true. But it goes a little bit further and a little bit further beyond that because Paul talks about in the book of Romans, should we sin that that, that grace may abound? Should we sin so we can show off that God is a graceful God? And he says what? By no means. By no means should we do that. Instead, because in addition to saving grace, there's that empowering grace. And it's the fact that you have new desires and new passions when God comes into our life. We have a new desire and a new passion, not for stuff that's just going to rot and to be destroyed and get old and have to be replaced and need to be upgraded, but for God himself, who never changes. Saving grace connects you to God. Empowering grace allows you to open your life to let him change it so we can become more like Jesus, just like we're supposed to. Where are you in your life with God? Are you stuck in saving grace and forgot that he has this empowering grace that's supposed to change your life? Or have you not even experienced the saving grace yet? Where are you in your life with God? It is a question that is well worth asking this last week of 2010 because I don't know what God's doing in your life. Who knows where we're going to be standing at one year from now? The day after Christmas, next year Christmas is on a Sunday. Who knows what we're going to be doing? Who knows where we're going to be at? Who knows who's going to be here and who's not? Because tomorrow's guaranteed to no one. That means next year is not guaranteed to anyone either. Where are you going to be at? What's going to be going on in your life? How is God working on you? How are you going to open your hearts and minds? The New Year's resolution is about losing weight. That's great. I need to lose weight. I understand that. Okay? I put on pants and go, oh, I can't wait till New Year's so I can say I'm going to lose weight, and then I don't. Um, you know, it... Throw those things aside and really say, what is going to make a difference in my life? How am I going to allow God to change me? Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you that you loved us so much that as we celebrated yesterday, you gave your one and only son to come and live as a man and to live a life that he could understand us, that, to die on a cross that would allow us to have a bridge between our sinful lives and your heavenly glory. Lord, we look ahead to what you're going to do. And we think about all the things that you have given us. We are 
truly blessed. Even the least in here is truly blessed. But God, what are we doing with it? Are we using it to honor you or are we using it to honor ourselves? Lord, I pray this morning that even though we're talking about money, even though we're, we're doing things that make people uncomfortable maybe, that God, that you are speaking to hearts. I know you've spoken to mine. After seeing all the presents underneath the Christmas tree that all of our kids got, and how fun it is, yet we think about those who have nothing. God, help us to understand why you've given us what you've given us. And that, Lord, we're supposed to do is it for you first and not for us first. Help us understand that this morning, Lord. We pray it all in your name. Amen.